Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. We talk about current topics designed to equip women to be culture shapers and disciple makers, helping you to live with conviction and boldness in a post-Christian world. Today, I've invited Sharon Stevenson to join me, and uh, I've just heard so much of her story. She's uh, just been through much in her life, but God has redeemed it and transformed her, and her light just shines. And so I thought, being that it's the week after Easter, which is the most significant Christian holiday celebration that we have, it would be so great to just hear of a life that's been transformed. And so today we are here. We want to hear about the work that Christ has done in Sharon's life. Uh, Yes, she's been through it. She's experienced it, but it's more about her new life in Christ than it is about all the things she's been through. But it all helps tell her story. And so I know um, the times she's shared parts of it with me, I have been really blessed. And so I just trust that our our listeners will be blessed today as well. So Sharon, thank you for joining. And and, uh, just wondering if you could start by just starting to tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up. I will, Susie, and thank you for having me. Well, I had uh, a beginning that most people would never want to happen to their child. Um, I was given up for adoption at four years old uh, through a terrible accident that happened to my mother, uh, one that I quite honestly didn't even believe for many years. I thought it was made up, but she had fallen off a horse and cracked her collarbone, but they didn't realize her spleen had ruptured Mm. and she passed away on the operating table. And at that time, you're going back 67 years ago, (laughs) well, a little less of if I was four, but um, the fathers at that time didn't have the capability, all the helps that are in place today for raising a child on his own. He and his mother thought it would be best that I'd be given up for adoption along with my brother. So we were, and he was only three, by the way. Um, It was traumatic, Mm. to say the least. At four years old, you're you're really kind of coming into yourself a bit, and you're a little bit more aware of what's going on around you. As a result of that trauma, I actually had um, mutism. Mm. So it, they call it selective mutism, where I never spoke for a year, year and a half. I couldn't. I actually didn't even cry. I just held everything inside, terrified, very alone, um, scared of my shadow, because I didn't even know what was going to happen next. I had no idea. Everything um, that was familiar to me had been taken away. I had no mom. Mm -hmm. I had no dad. I had nothing familiar, um, even the smells or anything around me that was the same um, that I'd been used to. I, I look at my own grandchildren and especially when they were four and I'm it always takes my breath away again because I realize I can't even imagine that them being them in a situation where nothing that was familiar to them would be in their surroundings and how terrifying that was um 
So as a result of that, uh, along with the mutism, your memory of that becomes very, very sharp. Hmm. I remember details that perhaps, you know, you wouldn't normally remember if you'd had a, a pretty normal childhood. It was pretty traumatic. So I remember my first visit um, to my adoptive parents' place. It was overwhelming. It was a farm. There were animals. I'd never seen animals in my life before. All of it was terrifying. Um, I remember the everything seemed so huge, so big to me. I guess it would in any four-year-old's mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, um, I never said anything. And I remember sitting at a little table in chairs and coloring and they were the adoptive parents were talking to me and I refused to even look at them I just looked at my paper and focused on that and my brother was talking to them and it was like terror in my heart you don't know them you don't can't trust them like just all those kind of things came up within me um I was very, very scared, but it it was over that period, um, you know, like even my mom was a very calm woman and very put together woman, and uh, she loved to bake, and I loved watching her. She was, it was, that was a good thing, but I still didn't interact with her. Even at the dinner table, I would sit there and I wouldn't even ask if I was hungry. I wouldn't ask if I could have more of potatoes, say, or vegetables. I just didn't even want to speak those words. And she was very intuitive and she would see and she would say, would you like some more? And she put it on my plate and I'd enjoy. Um, also during that time, I was... Uh, very attracted to um, beautiful things. And it was like a comfort Mm. for me. Um, The bedroom that they had prepared for me just really um, was gorgeous. It had this beautiful rose petaled border around it, these beautiful um, Priscilla flowing curtains and I even remember the bedspread it was one of those chenille ones with all the bumps in it and everything all those things really impacted me and shaped me as the years went by like when I look back at that that was where I found a little bit of comfort Hmm. but I was still a very terrified girl and I always had a stomach ache but again I never said anything to anybody about it my stomach was always like really tight. Um, The things that were different that maybe you wouldn't think about, but even the smells, Mm. um, everything was so intense. I can't even explain it. Um, I was afraid of the other children at the table. They were older. They were my dad's, um, uh, my parents' older sons. So I was intimidated by them. So it just silenced me. I became very, very quiet. It's kind of hard to believe that now. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, one day my mom was baking her pies in the kitchen and I was watching her and I really wanted to say something to her, but I... (sighs) 
And she noticed, which is amazing to me. She picked up on it that I was wanting to ask her something. And so she gently asked me a question. She said, uh, I think you want to say something to me. Go ahead. It's okay. And I wanted to be brave, but I was still very afraid. And I didn't look at her still. I was looking at my feet. And then I just asked her, and I think I was about five and a half. Mm. And I said, what am I supposed to call you? Wow. So that was the very first time you spoke to her, you had not said one not word. one word. Wow. In it a just, year and a half I or couldn't. so. I couldn't. I was just in mm. that much terror. And she didn't even look up. She just kept rolling her dough on the table, which was probably what gave me a little bit of freedom. And she just said, well, you can call me mom if you like. And it was that simple. I could call her mom. Wow. And it just changed everything. It was like a, one of those light bulb moments, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so from there forward, you just felt comfortable. You started I, talking and asking questions. Somewhat, somewhat. I still was very awkward and very shy. Um, not a lot of confidence. I think the motions still were pretty, mm-hmm. pretty raw. But. What I realized, you know, when I look back, I realized that um, whether you're four or you're 94, a lot of people live like this apart from Christ. And, And what blows me away, people feel lost, they feel alone, they feel afraid, unloved, and and abandoned, which is exactly what I was. So what we do is we stuff down those feelings and uh, we bury our hopes and even our tears, right? And we remain silent, but we don't have to stay there. Mm. That's the beauty of Jesus. We we get stopped by all that, but and we look to things, we become reliant on ourselves or others when all we really need to do is ask that question, what? do I call you? Mm. And it's simple. He as gently and reassuringly, assuming nothing says, call me Abba, Father. Mm. Trust me and believe me and I'll never leave you or forsake you. And that's so beautiful. Romans 8, 15 says, for you have not received the spirit of slavery that leads you to fear again. Instead, you've received a spirit of adoption by whom you can call cry out, Abba, Father. And I often say I was adopted at four into an imperfect family, and I was adopted again at 24 into God's perfect family. That's amazing. Yeah, um, you definitely experienced trauma. And for you as a young girl, you you stuffed it all in and you didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, Thankfully, at five and a half, you were able to begin communicating somewhat. But what? Um, how, how did it happen when you actually finally got to know Jesus as your Savior, when you were able to call God your Abba, Father? My Can Father. you tell us that story, oh, the yes. story of your salvation? That's actually the best part. Um, I struggled. I struggled through all my um teenage years. Uh, I was very shy um, and terrified of dying. Hmm. And unfortunately, um, 
things happened in the home, the imperfect family that perhaps weren't good. And um, when I look back, I see that my mom was a very wounded woman as well. Mm-hmm. Um, she was doing the best she could, um, but she had a lot of heartache and brokenness in her own life. And she sometimes would manipulate the scriptures. And mm. I, because I didn't really know the scriptures, I didn't really um, understand what I was doing that was so wrong. One of the big things that she would say to me is, um, you need to honor your parents or you're going to die young. Oh, okay. So I was terrified of dying. Mm. That was one of the almost debilitating. Um, If somebody got sick or if I got sick, I thought, this is it. This is it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make it to the next birthday. (laughs) So I I really um, struggled with that for a lot of years. Um, And then what happened, um, I, the first fella that really paid attention to me because I just didn't have any sense of self-worth or any direction. Mm. I would say no real clear direction. I was kind of fumbling through life, not knowing what I was doing. And we did go to church, uh, but it was a church where a very liberal church, and I don't ever remember hearing the gospel, but I there was still that yearning in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I remember one time... Um, Something had happened at home that was really hurtful. And I rode my bike about five miles to the church. Wow. And at in those times, they left the church doors open all the time. And I went in. I was all by myself. And I remember just sitting in one of the pews going, God, if you're real, prove it. Mm. Just prove it prove it. I need to know if this is real. And I remember being drawn by, um, well, I had an aunt who I believe was praying for me. Your hindsight's always Mm -hmm. better, right? And she gave me my first Bible and I would try to read it. It did not, I I had, I was blind. I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. Um, but she also, um, gave me a subscription to uh, a magazine, a Christian magazine. It came once a month. I knew exactly what day of the month it was going to come or thereabouts, and I would beeline it to Mm. the mailbox because I couldn't wait to get it. And I would weep and cry when I read a lot of those stories, but I was still blind. Like I didn't understand what was missing. I wanted it, but I didn't didn't know. And... um, would go to uh, some concerts, Christian concerts, and be very moved and even moved to tears, but still blind, Mm. constantly blind. And then I met this fella at school, um, got married right out of school, feeling like, well, uh, I better take the first one that comes along because, Mm. uh, you know, I'm not... I'm not really going to be wanted, right? That's Mm -hmm. how you think about yourself. Um, You're not worthy. And uh, it was a terrible mistake. I did what a lot of girls do foolishly, even knowing that it wasn't going to be good, went headlong into it. Um, It was very short-lived. 
marriage. Um, uh, the result, though, I had a beautiful, beautiful daughter about mm-hmm. a year and a half in. And um, I didn't realize even then how strong my maternal instincts were. I would do anything to protect this child. And perhaps some of that came from my own past. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Just wa- wanting to protect her. And um, so I ended up on my own. And that was a big struggle again. And in that time, I I lived in this apartment that was across the street from a church. And I used to get her ready on Sunday mornings and put her in a stroller. And we'd sneak into the back of the church. And I'd sit there and I'd weep. Mm. And But I went late. And I left early. While the last song was being sung, I would sneak out because I didn't really want to encounter anybody. I I was still struggling at that time with even knowing who Sharon was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, except very lost. Yeah. I would say very lost. And a few years went by. I was in another relationship. Um, and my daughter, a neighbor of ours, um, invited her to go to Sunday school. And I saw value in that from my own life. And so I sent her and it was an opportunity for me to sleep in in the morning. I hate even saying that. It sounds so, so shallow. But as a single mom, that that's what you needed at the time, exactly. right? You needed that little break. Well, this little girl absorbed it. Um, She loved Sunday school. She used to come home and she would line up her stuffed toys and her dollies and she would play church. She would say, we're going to turn to page such and such and we'll sing this song. Like she just loved it. But then she started asking me questions and some of them I had the answers for, most of them I did not, or I, or I did not want to answer, to be quite honest. Mm-hmm. It was so, um, made me so uncomfortable. Uh, so this went on for about a year, maybe a little bit more. And finally I said, she can't go anymore because, and mm-hmm. and I felt guilt about that, but it was it was wounding me so much because I, I couldn't help her. I couldn't answer her and I didn't understand. And it was, it seemed, even then it seemed so real to her and I wanted nothing to do with it. So, um, anyway, we stopped and, and, and it hurt her. Mm. I can say that she was genuinely, she would ask all the time, when can I go back? Can I go back? And, One day, uh, a relative actually asked me to go to a picnic, and I thought to myself, well, my daughter would really love this because they're the people she knows, and, you know, she'd get enjoyment out of it. Well, to my surprise, I enjoyed it as well. (laughs) They were very warm and inviting people, and I thought, well, this isn't so bad, and nobody said anything to me that that made me uncomfortable. So they invited me to church the next day. So my family, we went. Well, again, to my shame, um, halfway through the sermon, I got up and went and sat in my car 
because I was under such conviction. I did not like what I was hearing, didn't like how it made me feel. Um, and I left my family sitting in there. I still, when I think about it, I think it was a bold move, but a very weird one too at the same time. So within, from that Sunday before, by the next Sunday, the pastor had called and said he would like to come for a visit. And I'm like, I didn't say no, which surprised me. I said, sure, you can come. And that whole day, the, the evening before he's come, I'm telling you, I paced my house. It was like there was a war for my soul that day, and I knew it. And I paced up and down my house. <laughs> It was just a very little house. I had not very far to go, but I was up and down it and saying to myself, well, they're not going to convince me. There's no way. I'm not going to listen. They better not be ramming that stuff down my throat. And I just had myself worked up. Well, God is so kind and so good. They came in and actually the pastor had a really bad cold. Oh, no. <laughs> so he really had debated whether he should come or not. He and his wife came. And well, these days it would have been a flat no. But yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but thankfully sure. back then he still came. He still came. <laughs> well, they just, it was just a very casual type of conversation, just kind of getting to know know me a little bit, know my circumstances. And it was like, all of a sudden, it was like, they're not going to ask me anything about my soul. Like, it was like, it was like, almost an anxiety for me, total opposite of how I was feeling. Hmm. And so then I started telling these people things that I revealed to no one like the deep pain, the deep hurt, some of the things I'd gone through that were definitely injustice, mm -hmm. a lot of injustice, things that should never have happened, um, just how much, what a mess my life had been. And I'll never forget, he said to me, Sharon, did you ever think it was your sin that Jesus is concerned about? your soul, not everybody else's. He's concerned about you. Wow. And I'm like, I just paused. And I, the reality of that just hit me. I would say, people would say that was a light bulb moment. And I'm like, you're right. But what do I do about it? Amazing. Yeah. What do I do about this? I have no answers for this. And so then he led me through what it is to trust Jesus, to seek forgiveness, to repent of those sins. And I'm telling you, all the years that I didn't cry, it was like the floodgates mm. opened. Um, I couldn't stop crying, um, sobbing. But intermingled with that was tears of joy mm -hmm. because I knew, I knew, I knew that the Lord had, had redeemed me. He had saved me, that I didn't need to live as a victim. Um, I had forgiveness for every sin that I'd ever committed. 
I could forgive those that had hurt me. I didn't need to carry any of it. It was incredible freedom. And he had a Bible there and he started reading it and it was the words came alive. There's no other way for me to explain it except that those words came alive and they just penetrated into my heart. And I'd love to tell you, Susie, that it was smooth sailing from there on in to, to today. Definitely not. Well, I think uh, we all know that the Christian life, sometimes we falsely advertise the Christian life as being easy and pain-free and it's not necessarily that. And yet I think I, I love your salvation story because what a pivotal moment that could have been. The pastor could have just had sympathy on you and reaffirmed all the bad things that had happened to you, reaffirming the fact that you are a victim. And yet in that moment, he just asked you to look at your own own sin. And that's what God does. So many, I think we fail people so many times by allowing them to blame the circumstances of their life or blame other people and live as victims instead of bringing them to the gospel where they can be saved from their own sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, like every single yes. one of us, just because we've also been sinned against doesn't mean that we don't have our own sin to need, to receive forgiveness from. And if we never get to that, if we don't actually allow Jesus to forgive our own sins, we'll continue to live as a victim and never find that freedom that Jesus offers to us, right? And so uh, just hearing you, you share that I think is so important. Our world has taken away personal ownership and just yes. blames it on everybody else. Yes. And that puts us in bondage. And yet yes. here you are today, living in freedom. Like you said, not not a perfect life. You've you've gone through many hardships yes. since then. And so do you want to tell us a little bit about where are you at now? You feel free to share some of the hardships you've gone through. What is God doing now? What has God revealed to you now? Oh my goodness. It's really hard. 67 years <laughs> to put in just a little time capsule is so difficult. But some of the things that really stick out to me, um, I did meet my own biological father when I was in my 50s. And the funny thing about that, or not funny, again, it shows my nature, is I told nobody I knew. Hmm. Um that I knew where he lived. I knew he had other children. He was remarried. I knew so many details. I told no one for 10 years. Mm. I just kept it buried in my own heart. Part of it was, I think, again, fear of abandonment. Uh, like in my mind, I had all these scenarios of how, um, you know, I just didn't want to be rejected again, right? Right, I don't absolutely. Think anybody wants that. So I didn't do anything about it until I had a little bit of a health scare. And my children had often asked me um, details like when they'd go to the doctor, the doctor would ask them, you know, did you, you know, is there this in your history? Is that, well, we had no answers to any of that, right? I didn't. So when I had this health scare, I thought for the sake of my children, because it didn't matter to me, but for the sake of my kids, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to step out in, <laughs> and be brave again and pick up the phone and call this man. I even had his telephone number. Wow. 
So I did. And I couldn't have, um, I can't, I still to this day can't believe the scenario that transpired because not in any of my scenarios that I had dreamed up in my own mind happened. Um, his wife answered the phone and I just said to him, look at, um, I would like to speak to Mr. So-and-so and, um, I'd like to ask him some questions. And she was very resistant. She said, uh, who is this calling? And I didn't want to tell her. So I just said, well, I just really appreciate to speak to, to Mr. So-and-so. And she was just as insistent. And so finally I said, well, my name is Sharon. And I literally heard her gasp. And then I heard her call to her husband, you're going to want to take this call. Mm. And so he came to the phone and I had rehearsed in my mind what I was going to say. I said, my name, I'm, my name is Sharon Lee. I was born March. No, I started. My name is Sharon Lee. And he stopped me and he said, it's Sharon Lee. You were born March 5th, mm. 1954. You have a brother, Charles Patrick, born March 18th, 1955. And he started sobbing. Mm. I didn't know what to do, Susie. I didn't know whether I should hang up the phone. Like, again, this was beyond my thinking to have a, this type of a response. I expected the click of the phone, actually. Um, you wouldn't get that today yeah, with cell no. phones. <laughs> but, he, and after he, he was through his tears, he said, I've waited a lifetime for this phone call. Mm. He said, there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think of you and your brother and wish I could have changed my mind and kept you. And, you know, he's telling me all these things that I was blown away mm. because here's someone who is a total stranger to me but he loved me wow and the lord just put it on my heart right then and there that's exactly what jesus was to me he was a stranger but he loved mm. me and so it just really was impactful it was one of those uh, aha moments again in your life um, where I could parallel it with what Jesus had done for me. And I got to, um, he wasn't a very well man. He was elderly. He was um, on dialysis. So I would take that time, that opportunity when he was getting his dialysis to go and visit him. Um, it was very awkward at first. He's a stranger yeah. and he's a man. And I'm just like very uncomfortable. But I persevered with it. We did, um, I did find out a little bit more about my mother. Um and their relationship, all those kind of things. And uh, one thing, and I got to share my faith. I got to tell him I was a believer and and those kind of things. He wasn't, I wouldn't say he was responsive at all. He was very quiet about it. But uh, then I got a call one evening from his daughter saying, my dad is asking for you. And he was, he's in the hospital and he's dying. Mm. And would you come? 
So of course, of course I yeah. went. And one thing that I am always so thankful for, it was just him and me. There was no one else. And I, if you think about it, I was his firstborn. Yeah. So it was, I was just so grateful for it. So I'm by his bed, I'm holding his hand. And I asked him, I said, Ernie, do you know what's going to happen when you die? Do you know where you're going? Are you ready? Mm. And he just, through tears, said, no, I mm. don't. So I had the opportunity to share Jesus with him, how this perfect man went to a cross, didn't have to, but did willingly for his sin. All the things that were said to me, I got now to share with my own biological father. Um, God has an amazing way of redeeming and restoring things in your life. So he redeemed this man and... Um, it was a beautiful moment. I, uh, he died with me knowing he went to glory. Uh, he was gone before the next morning. Wow. Um, and, and for me, it was a restoration moment because I have a, a biological father in glory. Mm. Um, even though life would, didn't turn out the way I wanted it to here. And it's always for the best. God doesn't make any mistakes. No. Um, even with all the valleys, the the mistakes I've made, I look at my own life and I think um, we talked about uh, gourds or uh, this morning in Acts. We were doing a study oh, yeah, about the goads. The goads. That's Don't what they're called. The goads, Don't yeah. fight against the goads. I'd say I fought against a lot of goads. Mm. A lot of my hurt and upheaval was my own doing, even as a believer. Like I made a lot of fumbles and messes along the way, but God's still in the business of redeeming that. And that is what I see as pure beauty. Mm -hmm. There's nothing else that's greater than that. Um, so, and then I should also mention that my adopted mother became a believer when my daughter who became a Christian, I think I forgot to mention this, that she became a believer at four years old. And that's never been lost on me either because I was given up for adoption at four. My daughter was saved at four. Um, that just is mind-blowing to me. Again, it's one of those things that the Lord just, he gives you these little packages, these little gifts just to sustain you. And uh, my daughter has never looked back. She's she's walked a walk that I'm so thankful for. She's raised her her boys to love Jesus. They they all walk with the Lord. Like her life has just been great uh, as far as that, her walk. Um, when she was married, um there was a gospel message mm -hmm. at her wedding as well. And my adopted mother came to the Lord. Now, she was very quiet. Uh, again, I have to say she was a very wounded soul, and I recognize that. Um, but she uh, she changed enough that all of us saw it. There was a softness about her. She was in the scripture. She asked for a, a laptop. And this is a 80-year-old woman, 84 years old, actually, at the time. And she, she because she wanted to, to be in the scriptures. 
and wanted to listen to um, gospel music. And now, mind you, so much had happened all through our lives. Our relationship didn't really change. Um, there was a lot of tension there. Um, I actually was taking care of her for the last two years of her life. She was bedridden. Mm. And uh, it was a bittersweet time. I knew she wanted to change the dynamics of our relationship, but there had been just too much woundedness over the years that it didn't happen. Um, but again, I can look at, again, God redeems and he mm. restores because he redeemed her. And I have a mother now mm. that will be in glory when I get there. Yeah. So I just look at those as, again, just so beautiful. And then in the course of all this, I have um, children that love the Lord and I have children that don't love the Lord and children that have taken uh Roads that ha roads of destruction. There's no other w way to say it, uh, where it's brought me very, very low. Um, truthfully, Susie, I recall a day being flat on my face on my floor, just mm. crying out to God, um, knowing I I was helpless to do anything about the situations. Um, Two sons, particularly one, um, has been again restored, restored and redeemed, and the other is still walking in a path of destruction. Mm. Um, if I could say one thing, uh, God's never done, <laughs> and and the stories aren't written yet. So I pray, and you asked me today where I'm at. Even our, our walk through the church has been kind of difficult at times. And um, there, there was a time, I, I'm saying maybe eight years ago, where my husband and I just cried out to the Lord that we wanted to finish well, like we were tired, we were weary of all the, the mess some of it our own doing again, mm -hmm. and some of it not, things we had no control of, and we just cried out to God. And we look at, it wasn't a smooth ride even in these eight years, but we look at where God has brought us now, and we're just incredibly thankful. Mm. He's faithful. He is always faithful. Yeah, you you have an amazing testimony, right? It's because God is faithful. And you were talking earlier about um, a passage that we're talking about in our Bible study this morning, and that talks about um, Paul sharing his conversion story in Acts 26. And in verse 14, he relays how God called out to him, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And that was a proverbial statement that the Romans would have understood, essentially meaning like it it doesn't work to resist the will of God. Absolutely. 
And so many people go through life for so long resisting and kicking against the goads, trying to resist the will of God, bringing themselves into deeper and deeper destruction. And yet when we turn and we repent and we surrender, we find that freedom. We find that relationship, that renewal in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, you can either go your own way or you can be redeemed in Jesus Christ. There's only two paths. Absolutely. One or the other, right? And, Absolutely. And you're a story. You're you're an example of that. And it certainly doesn't mean that life is going to be easy because further on in Acts there, in Acts um, 26, 22, it says, Paul, once again, continuing to talk about his story and how he got saved, but then he he got attacked. But he declares, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Mm. And so such a good mm. reminder. God was faithful to Paul. He's been faithful to you, Sharon. I can testify he's been faithful in my life through the ups and downs, the storms of life, the things that bring us down to our knees or flat on our face, crying out to him. But he's faithful. He helps us. He restores us. He redeems us. And then we have that message to declare to others. And that's where you've been faithful as well, right? When you got to meet your biological dad and then seeing your adopted mom get saved and and seeing, you know, God working in your kids' lives. That's that's our mission. When we get saved, our mission is to go and share the gospel yes. with everyone else. And yes. um, some will listen and some won't. We, we don't have control over that. God's ultimately going to save people, open their eyes, soften their hearts so they can turn and yes. repent. Yes. But we just want to be faithful with that mission. Yes. And so I'm so thankful for you and just getting to know you and just your strong declaration that you want to finish well. Yes. And... Um, and can I tell you how yeah. that how I do that? Yes, please and do. And it's not about me. It's about how the Lord cuz one of the things that I say to him all the time, Lord, keep me on a short leash. Mm. Because you're a slave either to the world. Yeah. I want to be a slave to Jesus. So mm-hmm. keep me on a short leash. It sounds weird, but it's in my mind's eye. I need that. I know it. I know the propensity of my heart. It's yeah. wicked. We're all prone to run our own yes, way, right? Yes. And I do not want to. So, and he hears that. He hears it. He answers. Um, and that's where I've seen the biggest transformation in my own life that I can stand firm, but it's not on my strength. It's because Jesus is right here beside me. And um, that's what I hold on to. I hold on to every word that's in his word. His That book is all about him. Mm-hmm. It's not about me. It's about him and what he's done and what he's going to do and where he's taking me. And there's so much comfort in that. I don't, I'm not abandoned. I'm not lost. I've been found. I'm loved. Even though I don't deserve it, I'm loved. Mm. Um, those are the things that I hang on to all the time daily. Mm-hmm. Um, not perfectly, mind you, but right. the intent, um, 
God's going to keep me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have that fear anymore where I always had this fear of losing my salvation or, oh, you're so bad, Sharon, you can't. There's no way that's forgivable. Um, always going down those roads, those are lies. Mm-hmm. They're total, total lies. It's Jesus that keeps me. It's not me. Um, and that's where I where I like to sit. And again, to me, it keeps me from being a victim. <laughs> Amen. Right? We, we've been redeemed and loved and forgiven, and we are eternally sealed in Jesus Christ the moment we get saved, the moment we put our faith in Him. And so with that, I'm uh, just so thankful to you and for sharing your story. Uh, and that message is available to anyone that's listening, right? If we confess our sins, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And then the same things that you've said, you are loved, you are forgiven, you're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That hope is ours. We have resurrection hope in Jesus Christ. We don't have to live in fear of anything here on this earth because we know that we will be saved for eternity. And um, it's just a reminder as well that even when so many things are coming against us and you've shared a lot in your own life, all of us right now are facing so much pressure with you know, regularly having to listen to the the, the f- concerns of, of more lockdowns or, or greater restrictions coming our way and not knowing what we can plan and what we can do. People are disappointed with wedding plans and having to change those and maybe birthday plans or just gathering with family. People are lonely. And, and as a church, we want to continue ministering to people and inviting everyone in that that wants to hear the truth of the gospel, that wants to, wants to be loved by people and by God. And so there's, there's pressure wherever we go. And yet your story is also a reminder that God's kingdom cannot be stopped because God cannot be stopped. And so whether we're fighting a personal battle or just the battle of what's going on in the world, I hope that that will be uh, an encouragement and a strength for all uh, all of us today, reminding us that we can be stopped, we can be restricted from doing all sorts of things, but God's kingdom cannot be stopped. And yes. He will continue to see people saved. He will continue to redeem yes. them. And we want to continue to get that message out. So thanks for joining me, Sharon. Thank and you, Susie, for yeah. this opportunity. Thank You're you. welcome. 